0: are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable well-organized and mission-driven company well i'm nate shaw co-founder of the brooklyn music factory
1: and i'm daniel patterson founder of Groger music studio And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school.
0: So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school.
1: Hey, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is Daniel. I've got Nate here. And today we are diving into the metrics that you need to keep track of as an owner. What's on your founder dashboard and Nate and I have put together a list of crucial numbers that you need to keep track of. And by the end of this episode, you will know what numbers to keep track of, why you're keeping track of them, where you can find those numbers and, uh, helping you overcome maybe some mental obstacles you have and finding the motivation to add this to your plate of things to do, um, we're going to be careful not to come across as scolding you, and <laughs> we're not going to get too geeky or deep into the numbers. We're just going to lay out the case for why these things are so important and um, why you actually need to do them to build a successful, sustainable business. So, Nate, I'm excited about this one, and um, I wonder where should we, we should start. Do you have Do you have a thought? I do have a thought, actually,
0: because as As some of our viewers will notice a, a very different background for me because I spend uh, many months a year actually living on a small island in maine and one of the reasons why I feel so comfortable um, kind of running the business from this little fishing village you know on an island is because I have metrics that I can look at every week that I trust and and they're a sign of all the great work that Um, everyone at Brooklyn Music Factory is doing, and it really just puts my mind at ease and allows me to do what I need to do from here. So I actually think that that's kind of a really important point to start with is like, what's the purpose of a dashboard? Yes. you know,
1: Um, And maybe we can start there, Daniel. Does that sound good? I think that sounds great. I think this is a timely episode. We're doing this towards the beginning of our second season of the podcast and near the beginning of what most consider to be the school year or where our year begins. And this is, this is something that you can begin to work on and perhaps have a mid range to long range goal of having this stuff mastered by the end of this season of your school. So I think the purpose is a great place to start.
0: Yeah. And I love that comment, dude, which is that don't think that you're going to walk away from this episode and just knock out a dashboard in a day, right? Rather, set a goal. Like you said, Daniel, just be like, Hey, how about this season or this school year? By the end of it, I have a dashboard that I really trust, which has measures that Mm. I understand and the why. So love it. Um, So the, the general, um, the purpose of the dashboard is, is really simple. It's supposed to give you a health check on your business at a glance. And so what I mean by at a glance is you can look at the number and basically in 10 seconds or less, assess whether or not that number... And we've talked about this before. Is that number good enough? Or is there a red flag? Or is it actually exceeding your expectations? In which case, that could be another growth opportunity for your business. So... Basically, when I look at my dashboard, for example, when I look at the leads that are coming in for a specific service or product that we're that we're offering, um, I'm assessing how many leads came in in the last seven days. How many leads do I need in order to ensure that you know Jessica, our our sales team, will meet our enrollment targets for the fall? Right. Mm. So it, are those numbers within? the range where I feel confident enough to say, yep, our lead magnets doing well enough. Our website's doing well enough. We're driving traffic well well enough, et cetera. So that's just one example from bucket number one um, Mm. of, of the value of a dashboard, right? We just want to be able to, a, a dashboard is working. If you can look at it in just a couple minutes each week and say, huh? Okay. Okay. Wait a minute. I need to look deeper at that this week. Okay, done. That's a scan of your dashboard.
1: Yes. I think that a lot of times, from what I understand, is that people say, I don't keep one because even if I had the numbers, I wouldn't know what to do with them. Mm. And so I would say that this falls under purpose as well, because we're going to give you the list. We're going to tell you why you should be keeping the list. And I think in the construction of it, or your first version of it, you're going to have to self-educate. To go back to what Nate said a few minutes ago, um, there was a certain point in time that I started keeping a financial dashboard. Of course, I had a marketing one. And we're not right. just gonna cover marketing in this episode. I want I want people to understand at the outset, we're not just gonna be talking about marketing metrics here. But when I first started keeping a financial dashboard, the first version of it was primitive. And I'm just gonna be really transparent here, I misunderstood a few of the numbers I was keeping track of. And for like a solid year, I was actually calculating a few things wrong for a year. Even with that mistake, even though I was calculating something wrong and mislabeled this or mislabeled that, and eventually an advisor of mine kind of pointed it out, even though it was mislabeled and it was wrong, it still brought value to me. Just the, the collection of it, I had much more transparency in the in, in that part of my business and then after I had maintained it for a while, I, I began the implications of that collection of data and that analysis and that looking at that data then made me realize like, Ooh, it would be helpful if I had this number too. And so mm-hmm. I started adding other things to my dashboard because that first version created a new awareness, that new awareness created maturity. And then that maturity then, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get flowery here. It blossomed into, <laughs> into uh, even more awareness that then caused me to look for other numbers to be a part of that dashboard. So, yeah, like Nate said, um, like Nate said, do a version one, and over time, you'll get more sophisticated if need be.
0: Yeah, so good. The self educate that should really be everybody listening should write that on a sticky note right now. And just understand that through the process of building, as Daniel said, you will
1: yeah. level up. So let me ask you a question, Nate. How often do you look at your dashboard? And I know we're going to get into what's on it, but how often? Yeah, weekly is
0: fine. And then there are certain metrics that I look at monthly, like employee payroll, I look at monthly. Mm. But weekly is my rhythm. I, open my, I basically call Monday my assessment day. Actually, mm. sometimes I do it Sunday when I'm Prepping my week as we talk about, yeah. but but I just look at the dashboard and I look at very few numbers. It's not a lot as we're going to go into, and I just assess. And like I said, if there's a red flag, I know that part of this week needs to go towards unpacking why
1: that number is off. Mm. Uh, so, I <laughs> yeah, I, I I do something similar. Um, you do. Nice. Some numbers are weekly, some numbers are monthly, and I have it actually built right into my task management system, where literally there's a task that sh- pops up every Monday where I go look at that marketing dashboard and this number and mm. and these things, and it's just a task there. And since the task recurs, it has the link to the dashboard right in the task. I click it, I look at it. It takes me thirty seconds to a minute, and then I go back to the task. I hit complete, and then it sets it up for the next week. And what happens is, is that um, the numbers are populated by an assistant of mine, um, a team member of mine who goes and collects that data, puts it on the dashboard for me. Um, in some cases it auto populates, but there's some things that have to be gathered manually. That person puts it there, um, uh, before that I would go in and look at it. Yeah. Um, sh- so they have a recurring task as well to go populate the parts of the dashboard they need to. And it, and it comes before mine. Now that could start to sound complicated. Like, oh, I don't have an assistant. Don't worry about it. I'm just saying the point here is that there is a rhythm to this. Some are weekly, some are monthly. I, I agree with you.
0: Yeah. and And to your point a few minutes ago, that assistant or that team member filling in those blanks for you, they come after you're already experienced filling in the blanks yourself. That's one That's of the a key- great points. And, yeah. and you, you spoke to this earlier, but this is one of the key steps that I think a lot of founders forget and miss. Mm. They think by the time they need a dashboard, they already have a team. So somebody should be taking care of it. I've hired a marketing person. They should just send me stuff all
1: the time. Yes. <laughs> you know, And you're like,
0: just anyway. So Shall we oh, start a, I, I, what I was, are you going
1: to say? <laughs> I was naive like that at one point. Like I literally was looking to hire someone who could do the analysis for me and come back and report to me what they thought about it. So naive. Yeah. Of course, I needed to spend time doing it myself. And now I'm to the point where even after years of keeping Financial Dashboard, there's one team member that I'm starting, a senior team member that I'm starting to bring into that and talk about the implications. And we literally just have meetings where I pull up our financial dashboard and I'm talking about the business and what this means and why we do that and, and why we keep track mm-hmm. of that. And, you know, I could never have taught that years ago and how silly of me to think that I was going to have like hire someone, even if they could be hired, they'd be way too expensive.
0: <laughs> right, totally.
1: <laughs> to um, do that analysis for me. So, I know I cut you off there. Look, we haven't even gotten into the meat of this episode. We already have tons of things to say just on how important <laughs> this is. Like, this well, first 10 minutes has already been super super rich. We haven't even gotten into the numbers yet. <laughs> well, and so let's go to bucket number 1, dude, because one Kay. of the things is this is the area where I just feel
0: like you have such clarity. Like the Kay. marketing and sales bucket, you're so good at and and I've I've seen a bunch of um dashboards from school owners that you work with. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, man, this marketing dashboard looks great. These numbers you're looking at are awesome. So maybe you feel like starting us off there in in the bucket bucket number one of just like what marketing metrics actually matter? Like how few can you really get by with?
1: Yeah, I could give a starting dashboard here. And then, you know, in our discussion before this episode, you had some interesting categories too, that I agree with. I'd love to hear you talk about those. But for me, this will be a familiar refrain to some who followed me for years. Um, if someone has perhaps uh, not followed as closely, this will be a good reminder, or maybe even the first contact with this, but I have a couple, I'm just going to list them off fairly quickly here. And I think. In the show notes or the, the, um, the material that accompanies this episode, I think we can have these all listed out in a really succinct way so someone doesn't have to like, go back through the episode and write it all out. You could, just a copy and paste list. Um, but here are what I consider to be really crucial marketing numbers. Hmm. The number of views on your web properties. So for some schools, that could just be their site. For some so- schools, it could be sites... They're a site plus landing pages they have. Other web properties could include important social media profiles that you really highlight. So, how many views are you getting on that per month? And I just want you to track that literally whatever that number is. If you got 522 visitors to your site last month and an additional 436 views on the various landing pages you have spread across the web then I would want that on a dashboard somewhere because it tells you how many people are coming into contact with your business each month. So I would want to know that. Then the second number I want to know is how many people actually contacted you. And that could be Facebook or WhatsApp message. Now, of course, it's going to be a form fill in a website. It would be someone who uh, surrendered their email and potentially phone number on a landing page. I want to know the number of contacts. Did I say phone calls already? If I didn't, phone calls as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you can track that real well with technology like CallRail. Um, that's kind of the gold standard in the marketing industry. And I know marketing pros that won't even um, won't even allow you to do a deal with them unless they have unless you set up. CallRail because they want to be able to track every lead that's coming in. call I'm not going to get into what CallRail is. Go Google it. So how many contacts do you have? Next percentage of contacts that you reached. So maybe in a single month, you've got 22 contacts. They left you a message. They um, filled out a form. So now it's on you to reach back out to them. What percentage of those people did you actually get in contact with? I want to know that number separately because a lot of opportunity is lost because people are terrible at follow-up. I recently spent over an hour with about a half dozen clients of ours just talking about this topic and they were surprised at just how tenacious I was at follow-up, but it's, mm-hmm. why, it's why my follow-up percentage was so high and almost every almost everyone I talk to is taken aback when I show them the links I went to get in touch with people because I think people are afraid they just have fear they have all these imaginary disaster scenarios that'll happen if they you know try to reach out to someone more than one time. In fact, even recently, I was on a thread on one of the music teacher Facebook groups, music studio Facebook groups, and there was a, an opinion from someone that said like well if I can't read if I reach out to them and and I have to." send an email more than one time. I just say, forget it. It's just not worth it. And I, and I mean, each person's entitled to their own opinion, but I think that's naive. We're in a very different world than we were 20 years ago.
0: It's totally naive. And and so this, by the way, is a whole other episode, Daniel. I'm just saying that about how often and why, and when you contact a lead, but continue because you're now into the sales metrics. I love that percentage. What percentage of the contacts did you actually reach out to?
1: Yeah. Okay, and I yeah, and I say percentage but in reality if you were just keeping columns on a dashboard it would be, you know, your number of contacts and the number there and then it would be the number of people that you actually reached and that would be either an equal or lower number. I probably right. wouldn't express it as a percentage. So maybe I should have, you know, said that differently earlier. Final one, percentage of students actually signed. So you had 22 contacts in one month and you actually signed up 16 of those 22. I was impressed with one of our clients he said last December he had 31 people that reached out to the studio and he signed 30 of them. That's wow. insane. Yeah. yeah you is. know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to mention yeah. his name here just for privacy reasons, but, um, that that's an insane number. Um, but he's really good at what he does. And, uh, if he's listening, you know, he, he can smile and pat himself in the back. Although his bottom line is patting him on the back more than enough than just self-congratulation. <laughs> um, so anyway, those are the four things that I would absolutely keep track of and, One can get into much more detailed metrics for for grow your music studio. This business, our dashboard is much, much bigger than that. We keep track of our open rates on our email marketing. We keep track of how many subscribers we have, like all kinds of stuff, Um, SEO stuff. But I would say as a baseline, just start there. Because honestly, if I had those four numbers from a studio, I could diagnose a lot of problems and tell them where their time energy, and money is best spent in fixing a potential marketing problem if I had those four numbers. Okay. So, but
0: let's stay in the zone of you're building this for the first time. Right. Let's just, let's assume the listener is building this for first, first time. So am I correct in saying, Daniel, the very first thing you need to figure out how to measure is the number of web visits over a certain length of time?
1: Yeah. A month is fine. Or if you're more intense about it, I would say do it weekly. If you're in a real growth mode or you're trying to solve a problem, I'd probably, or if you're a bigger school, definitely do it weekly. Cause for a smaller school that maybe isn't spending a big budget, I know a school right now that's spending about $6,000 a month on their marketing. Um, Most Mm. individual teacher schools, or even large schools don't even spend more than a thousand. If that, so if you're spending that big of a budget, you probably do need to be tracking it more like weekly, but for most schools, tracking these numbers on a monthly basis is probably fine. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions.
0: Great. So website visits monthly Mm -hmm. is a great place to start. If you have specific landing pages for services, like you have a private lesson landing page only, or you have a new group piano class landing page, measure that specific landing page um, I love the fact that you included like a, a social profile that you're actually investing time and energy into, that you expect a uh, return on that energy. So that's awesome. And then how many people are actually contacting you, whether they're filling out a form, email, phone, and then what percentage of those contacts did you actually reach out to? So let's say you had 10 new leads in a week. Um, did you reach out to 5 of them? And then the final number you said is key on the dashboard there is of those five that you reached out to, how many actually converted? So let's say you ended up with two new clients out of 10 web forms or 10 contacts. Did I get all of that accurate? Just so that someone who's actually going to... There are definitely listeners who are building, making a spreadsheet right now. I hope, right? Because do now is a great, <laughs> it's a great mantra to go with. <laughs> I agree. Did I miss anything there, Daniel? No, that would be my baseline. Okay, I love it. Um, so then I thought what would be valuable from my perspective at Brooklyn Music Factory is to give you a real-time example from a week in June. So people are like, wait a minute, what do you mean? Exactly. Um, and, and, and I want to I zero in and then this will get to something that I measure on the sales piece that I think is important to have on your dashboard. Um, so I'm going to actually talk about our summer camp program. We're recording this at the end of June. I know it's hitting all of our listeners in August, but we're just at the tail end of that entire sales cycle. Camp is beginning in a week, etc. So um, we have... Our camp sells 240 spots. right? So I'm, I knew that number in whatever January when we began the cycle, the marketing cycle. And then weekly, I measured how close we were getting to 240. Now, at different times mm. over the spring, we focused on different um, marketing efforts. But right now, in June, it's primarily been just finish that summer camp, right? finish the sales. So in terms of website visits, I'm looking at one week. Okay, just at this one landing page on summer camp, we had 350 views. Okay, that's one week at BMF, we have 350 views. Maybe that's a lot. Maybe that's a little... I actually don't really care about that. I just care that we're consistently getting good enough or more than we need to get enough contacts. Out of that week, we got 23 web forms. So 350 mm. visits gives us 7%, 8% of the people filled out a That's form. That's pretty good. That's good. Thank you, dude. That's due to some of your help, of, as you know. So mm. we have we have 8% conversion on that. So 23 people signed up. And then I go to my sales team's dashboard. I look at my sales, Jessica, who put who notes her contact, exactly as you put it, with all of those new leads, and then notes who was enrolled and who was not. And out of those 23, we ended up with roughly uh, 3 on the waiting list and another 6 to 7 new enrollments. Okay. So there. So so call it 10 out of 23. So just, just under 50% of those 23 said, yes, I want a summer camp spot. Hmm. Um, so just to put a button on it, I start with how many people visit the page as Daniel recommended. I go to how many uh, people actually reached out to us in over that exact week. That's seven days of time, by the way. And then I say, okay. I say, I, I then check on my sales team's efforts. How many people did Jessica actually contact? She contacted 100% of them, right? Some of them more than once. And then how many people actually enrolled by the end of those seven days? 10 of them. So it took 350 web page visits to equal 10 new enrollments. Right. That's just a very concrete example of what we do at BMF each week. So.
1: I want to put an idea out here hit me you kept very careful track and it sounds like and we didn't really coordinate this before the episode began but that is very similar to what i mean you're 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 doing what i was just saying but i didn't know that that was kind of the process that you went through it's just a good process to do what about the person who would say okay i can keep track all day long but that actually isn't going to increase the number of people who Join my studio. Do you see what I'm getting at there? Maybe that's a different episode. I don't know if that's something we want to address right now, though. Like, obviously, just tracking your numbers isn't what creates the success. Maybe we need to talk about the mindset behind why we're tracking these numbers. Does that seem valuable right now? 100%. And I
0: think we'll, as we move through each bucket, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But let me give a concrete example around this seven days. And then, you know, in the life of Nate, as he's observing summer camp, note, That in my current role at BMF, I'm actually wearing the marketing director hat. I put it Mm. back on after basically like five years of not wearing it for various reasons. Um, Mm. And so my job is to assure, ensure, ensure (laughs) that Jessica and anybody else who's enrolling uh, new camp students has enough leads So that she can reach 240 sales by opening day, right? So you asked, well, what's the point of looking at the numbers if you're, if what do you actually do with the numbers? So I walked you through how I analyze those numbers. And the important part of that to zone in on as a listener is that it took 350 visitors to get to 10 new enrollments. And I look at that 10 new enrollments and I can tell you right now, we're at, 223 out of 240 sales for summer Mm -hmm. camp. We still need to close that remaining 17, right? But I can with confidence say with another week or two left to go, as long as we continue to get about 350 there every week, that we're going to meet or exceed that 240 sales goal. Oh, hundred percent. So I would point, oh, go ahead. no, no, no. Point out what? And then I'll come back.
1: Well, I would just point out, I love something you said it was innocuous, but you said about five minutes ago, you said, I kind of don't care what that number is. You said that mm. I actually agree with that statement because you'll notice as you keep dashboards like this, that the numbers, you'll see a pattern to the numbers over time. You won't yes. have these wild swings like, Oh, we got 350, uh, um, 350 visits this week. And we got 10 students, but next The week following, we got 350 views, and then we got 50, and then the week following, 350 views, but we only got one. You'll see a pattern of the numbers. They'll largely stay consistent over time within a small margin of variation. And um, as as you begin to notice that, you'll think, oh, well, huh, if I wanted 20 in a week, I probably would need to increase to 700. So now you've actually created a, a solvable problem. Well, how do I increase that number from 350 to 700? This is what keeping the dashboard yes. does for you. It takes the mystery out of, out of all this works. It's why in our masterclass training, um, it's why that we start with this because mm-hmm. most people think of it as magic or just like, Oh, if I just spam my link and my website everywhere, eventually, you know, we'll get lucky in a kind of, the clock is a uh, broken clock is right twice a day type mentality. doesn't mm. work that way. So I love that you kind of don't care what that number is as long as you're getting the end result and as long as you realize that there's a connection between the end result and that that opening number.
0: Bingo. And the number that i do I do pay very close attention to the sales uh, metrics. Mm. How many leads did I feed Jessica, and how many of those leads did she convert? And the reason I ask myself about those is because uh, for two reasons. One, that's that's the way I, as a CEO, are, are able to monitor my different team members really efficiently, is Jessica able to reach out to all new leads while still doing all the other enrollment work she's doing, plus the people power work and other things. If I see that she's not able to reach out, one of the very first things I'm going to do as a CEO is go ask her if she needs any help right? It's not a judgment of her efforts, because as you pointed out, we've been measuring this for months, years. And so I know what the pattern is for Jessica. And when I see a gap in that pattern, to me, that's an indication that there's she has a lack of resource. Maybe she doesn't have enough time to get it done. So my job as a founder is to go to that person and say, hey, how are we doing this week on this? I noticed a little blip in my in my dashboard. Is there anything I can do to benefit you? Mm-hmm. Is there anything you need? Do you need help on this, or can I? Um, and so that kind of rhythm happens every week in the life of a business owner. Mm-hmm. You're always looking for who you can help next, based on whether the numbers don't read the way you need them to. Um, the other thing I'm going to point out is, as the marketing director, as the person who's literally going into lead pages and changing the the landing page (laughs) i'm I'm the guy doing it right now so uh i look at that conversion number and as long as it's around seven eight nine percent of all the visitors are still filling out forms i'm not touching that landing page oh absolutely not but if it's if it all of a sudden dips to two or three percent i'm like wait did somehow something go wrong on our landing page and i'm going in there to see like oh maybe the copy got off like maybe we Maybe somebody else who was just updating our entire website across the board with some new copy changed something on the summer camp landing page. I'm like, oh wait. Or maybe the messaging doesn't doesn't message that we're getting very close to opening day of summer camp and there's only 17 spots left. So we need to actually message scarcity. So people need to actually take action now rather than coming back later. So anyways, bucket number, should we move to bucket number two or anything else on bucket number one, marketing
1: and sales? i think we're done there i think that we're covering some i think in talking about bucket number one we've talked about some bigger picture ideas Mm -hmm. too that will also apply to everything following this so we're probably going to talk about the remaining buckets much more quickly because there isn't all of these uh qualifications and tips and hacks that we're going to be adding to that. I mean, if there are some good ones, we'll absolutely do it. But I think we're also unloading a lot of mindset that needs to surround this and some best practices as well. So, um, yeah, I think we should move on.
0: Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn music factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them, and they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now, I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please, share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.